Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Dr. Tuno Fondersar. Uh, he's an assistant professor at uh, TU Delft, and we're going to talk about quantum nanoscience and sensing. Um, and instead of me botching what he's working on in the research, I'm going to have him explain it. So, Tuno, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you would, can you describe uh, the work that you're doing right now? What's it about? Yeah, so like you said, I'm an assistant professor at Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands. I run my own research group, which currently has um, five PhD students and a postdoc. And I uh, work on uh, quantum science, and I'm particularly interested in understanding how electrons uh, behave at very small scales in materials, so at the nanoscale. Yeah, to give an example, I'm studying uh, magnetism. So magnets are very special uh, materials that are used in many devices nowadays like hard drives or MRI scanners. And in magnets, the, the, the electrons or the atoms, the, the electrons behave in a collective manner. And this is, uh, I think, very interesting and could potentially also be used to kind of develop new ways of uh, computing or uh, things like that. Yeah. So I only know a little bit about magnetism, but I guess in certain materials, there's magnetic domains and when they're subject to a, a field, well, they create a field by aligning. Is that, uh, is that yeah, one of the mechanisms by which magnet, magnetism shows itself? Yeah, that's exactly right. So for instance, in, a, in a, the conventional hard disk drive, so not the, the modern SSD, but the more uh, somewhat more old fashioned ones, which are still used predominantly to store large amounts of data. Every bit on such a hard disk drive consists of a magnetic domain of about 30 nanometer in size. So that's about a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a, of a hair, a human hair. And every bit is encoded in the, the magnetic state of such a magnetic domain of 30 nanometer in size. So if the magnet, magnet, magnetic domain points up, you have a one. And if it points down, you have a zero. And because it's so small, you can store huge amounts of data uh, on, on such a hard disk drive. So. Um... The electrons in a, in a material like this, you say they're acting together. Are they acting as if they're being aligned by, uh, by a force? And when you say they're acting, I guess, in concert, like, like how are they acting differently from how they would uh, act in that material normally? Yeah, so that, that's a nice question. So the question is basically what makes a magnet uh, a magnet? And uh, a magnet is a magnet because electrons have, um, a, a, you call it a magnetic moment, it's called spin. It's, you can imagine what spin is by envisioning an electron as a ball of charge that is rotating. Now, if you have a, a moving charge, it creates a magnetic field, similarly to um, what you have in, in uh, if, you, if you run a current through something, it also creates a magnetic field. 
And the electrons in a magnet, they interact with each other and they want to rotate in the same uh, direction. That's because they are coupled together. So this is what defines a magnet. The electrons in the magnet are coupled together such that they want to have their spin pointing in the same direction. Um, and then if all the spins of the electrons point in the same direction, they, their magnetic field that they create adds up and therefore you get a very strong magnetic field even far away from the material. And that's why you, know, you can buy small magnets uh, that actually have a very strong magnetic field at centimeters or, or meters away at, at macroscopic distances away uh, because the electrons are all pointing in the same direction with their spin inside that material. So that's what makes a magnet a magnet, yeah. And how, how does that happen? I mean, is this, I don't know, I, you know, I'm mixing yeah, metaphors so, here, but is this, is this, can this be looked upon at all as a form of coherence? Does it have anything to do with, with you know, quantum mechanics or how does this arise? It does have uh, to, uh, very much to do with quantum mechanics. Um, maybe not directly with co the, the coherence, but uh, one of the, um, one of the main principles in quantum mechanics is that two particles cannot be in the same state. So that means that if two, two electrons are, have the same spin, they cannot share uh, the same position because then they would be in the same state. So what they do is they, to lower uh, their energy, they, they sit a little bit far away from each other and have the same spin such that they cannot go on top of each other um, so they cannot go on top of each other because they have the same spin. If they would go on top of each other, they, their energy would increase tremendously because of the, the charge, uh, because they have both have the same charge. So it's basically to lower their char, uh, to lower their energy, they align their spins and thereby they sit a little bit farther away from each other. So this, this principle that, you, that two particles cannot have the same state so they cannot share both the same spin and the same position. It's called the Pauli exclusion principle, and it's very, a very fundamental principle of quantum mechanics. So uh, this has the electrons sit further away from each other. I thought it would allow them to be closer. Yeah. So, but if if we would consider this principle, the Pauli exclusion principle, then th this principle says that two particles cannot share the same state. So when do particles share the same state? Well, for instance, if two electrons sit on the same atom in the same orbital around the atom, then at least they share the same position. If they share the same orbital, they cannot have the same spin. And therefore, for instance, electrons that you put in, the, in a shell of a helium atom have opposite spins. So they share the same orbital around the helium atom, but they have opposite spins. Now, one way, um, to avoid putting two electrons on top of each other, which costs a lot of energy because now they're very close and because they both have a minus charge, negative charge, so they repel. It, it is energetically more favorable to align their spins, thereby exclude the possibility that they sit on top of each other and increase their energy. That's as far oh, as I understand it, but this is, uh, yeah. Okay, so in these magnetic materials, what, um... Are you studying the behavior of the electrons and what are you trying to glean from this? Yeah, I'm particularly interested in um, the dynamics of the spins in magnetic materials. So in magnetic materials, if you, you cool them down to say zero temperature, all the spins are aligned and they don't move around, so they don't rotate. 
But what you can have, uh, what you can induce in, the, in such a material is that suppose you would now be able to, to flip one electron a little bit. So you, you give one electron a little push locally. This electron is coupled to its neighbor. Its neighbor wants to be in the same direction as the, as the electron that you've pushed. So also its neighbor will start to move and the neighbor of that electron will also start to move. And in that way, you can set up what is called a spin wave. So a spin wave are basically the elementary excitations of magnetic materials. Magnetic materials at room temperature are full of spin waves that are thermally excited. So basically the spins are just jiggling around a little bit. They all talk to their neighbors because they're in a magnet. But what makes spin waves interesting is that suppose you are driving an electron or a few of the electrons locally, you can actually propagate uh, a wave in, through the magnetic material. So this is the spin wave. Um, without actually moving the electrons themselves. So the electron is moving, well, it's rotating locally, but it doesn't move through the material. It just talks to its neighbor. Its neighbor also starts moving, et cetera, et cetera. And in that way, you can transport information through a magnetic material without actually moving any charge around. And as you know, oh. um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's really interesting. Keep going. Yeah, as you know, in, in current computer processors, uh, all the information transport is done using electric current, right? So a processor consists of transistors. A transistor makes use of electric current. And electric current means that charges, electrons are actually moving. And uh, the main bottleneck for increasing uh, computer speed is actually the heat that is caused by that, those moving charges, right? Your processor in your computer gets tremendously hot um, and that's because th there are currents running and the currents dissipate energy. Now, the hope for these uh, spin waves is that because there are no electrons actually moving through the material, but they just transmit their information by talking to their neighbors via this magnetic coupling, the hope is that that kind of waves allows a way of transporting information that doesn't generate as much heat as, uh, as, as normal charge transport. So this is kind yeah, of I wonder, a, um, yeah. if you if you split up the spin wave and then recombined it, if you could make logic gates and make like a whole uh, you know uh, computing system using using spin waves. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so this also adds something to the current uh, way of doing computing, where which is this wave nature of a spin wave, right? So an electric current doesn't really have a wave nature. And the nice thing about waves is that they interfere with each other. So you can make use of the interference between waves to, to do new types of logic that you cannot do simply by adding uh, currents together. This interference aspect of spin waves is, is very interesting. And there is a huge uh, amount of work going on trying to build now like really elementary logic uh, uh, circuits using spin waves. Huh. Um is there, what, what does resistance look like in the spin wave in our paradigm? What does uh, connectivity, what does voltage look like? Like, what do you recast all these things as now? Yeah, a voltage, um, it's an interesting question. So if you look at um, the wave, uh, how waves propagate, so waves will uh, encounter some resistance uh, in the medium that they propagate through. Right, so in the case of spin waves, eventually the energy will go into vibrations of the lattice and, and produce heat, which is similar to uh, elect the, the charge currents that I mentioned earlier. But 
the the idea is that spin waves nevertheless generate less heat than than charge current. Okay, less meaning how much less? Uh, an order of magnitude less, a little bit less. What what's, what do we characterize? Yeah, that's that's a complicated question because um, it depends really on how much of a spin wave you need to excite to be able to transmit a signal, and that. Um, so being able to transmit a signal means that you're able to detect the signal somewhere and detecting spin waves is not trivial at this stage. So you can excite spin waves, but it's hard to detect them. And so people are working now on ways uh, to detect spin waves in, in various uh, manners. For now, I mean, any spin wave device is far less energy efficient than any normal charge current device. Of course, the transistor has been developed uh, for uh, for decades now and is an extremely efficiently working uh, uh, device. Nevertheless, the hope is that spin waves, because they provide such a new way of transporting information, um, may yeah, provide some hope that you can do things better. Can spin waves transmit information right alongside um, you know, electric electricity moving or I mean, is there any way to yeah. couple them and to increase, you know, is there any interaction between, you know, a spin wave and an electric current? And, you know, how could this be used in circuits to make them work better or increase their capacity? Yeah, that, no, that's a great question. So uh, indeed, um, of course, we are very good in applying voltages and sending currents through circuits. And that's also, uh, so using an electric current to excite a spin wave and then converting that spin wave back into an electric current is, is, a, is a main research direction. And it's, it's at the heart of this field called spintronics, which kind of combines electronics with, with spin transport. Now, one way to excite spin waves is that you make an, uh, a metal electrode on a magnet. You send an electric current through the metal electrode. And then through a special mechanism in, in the metal called spin orbit coupling, you will actually excite spin waves in the magnet. These spin waves now travel with very little uh, heat production to another location. And at that other location, you can detect the spin waves again via the inverse uh, effect. The inverse spin hall uh, effect is it is called a special effect that converts a spin wave into a charge current. So uh, what's the... I don't know, what's the density of information or the, um, I guess, the computing capacity of spin waves? Has that been at least theoretically calculated to see if it's worth pursuing? Yeah, that, that, that at the moment, that is not uh, well known. Um, I think we are at, at the beginning still of showing that we can make elementary devices such as a transistor. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. That we can make elementary devices such as interferometers that make use of, of, of the wave nature of, of, of spin waves. How low we can go uh, is, is unclear at the moment. Have you tried to set up a, um, a somewhat macroscopic material, you know, made a, uh, you know, had a, a spin wave travel down a magnet of any appreciable length and see if there's any, um, any other, you know, I don't know what they'd call it. You know, when, when electricity flows, the magnetic field's induced and vice versa. But when a spin wave um, is going, are there any other things that are induced, any other fields can that be observed? Yeah, so there. So what we do in my lab, for instance, an experiment that I'm currently doing is that um, 
we excite, we, we have a magnetic film, which is a few millimeter in size and a 200 nanometer thick, so very thin, extremely thin magnetic film of a very special magnet. It's called yttrium iron garnet. You might not have heard of this material, but it's basically the best magnet that exists on the planet in terms of spin wave propagation distances. So in, in this material... Yag lasers, is that the same material? Yeah, so in YAG, so this is called, the material I mentioned is called YIG, yttrium iron garnet. YAG is a material indeed that's used in lasers, but it doesn't have the iron atom, so it's not a magnetic uh, material, gotcha. but in terms of the crystalline structure, it's very similar indeed. Now, this material is, a, is an insulator, so it doesn't conduct electric current, but it's the best spin wave conductor that exists. And how we measure that in my lab is using a, a single spin as a detector. So I'm interested in, in studying this spin waves on, on nanoscale, on the nanoscale. And I want to do that spatially. So I want to be able to make a, an image of, of the waves and how they interfere and how you can excite them and how you can, uh, how they propagate through the material. I want to be able to image that. And that's a technique that we developed in my lab where we uh, use um, electron spins as magnetic field detectors to pick up the magnetic fields that are generated by the spin waves in the magnet. So those detector spins um, form currently the, the, the central part in, in my research. They, they are spins in, in diamond uh, that you can read out optically. That means you can determine what their spin state is, so whether it points up or down, by looking at the photoluminescence of, of these spins. So what we can do, for instance, we can uh, shape a diamond into a very sharp tip. That tip has a single spin at the very end of it, 10 nanometer below the diamond surface. We take that tip, we put it on a, an atomic force microscope such that we can scan it across a, a sample. And then we can locally detect the, the magnetic fields caused by the spin waves. So we use one spin as a detector of the magnetic field of the spin waves in, in the material. It's a very new uh, way of detecting spin waves. So we, we are developing that now. And some other groups are also working on that uh, as well. So um, the spin wave does induce a change in the magnetic field? Yeah, the spin wave is a wave in which the spins in the magnetic material are moving. Now, the spins in the magnetic material, those are the things that generate the magnetic field of the material. right? So they are what makes a magnet create a magnetic yeah, field. That's right. That's right. Sorry. Yes. And so in so if those if those spins move and they typically move at uh, gigahertz frequencies, so those are convenient frequencies for, for processing and you can buy a lot of uh, microwave electronics at micro uh, at gigahertz frequencies. So spin waves generate magnetic fields that oscillate at gigahertz frequencies. So they go up and down at gigahertz frequencies. And those are the magnetic fields that we detect using uh, uh, a single spin in, in diamond. Actually, so if you had a, um, a the pathway of a spin a spin wave that went, I guess, perpendicular to you know a macroscopic magnetic field, I wonder if you could pulse the magnetic field and gate it using the spin wave, turn it on, off, on, off, on, off, and that would you know make a break in the uh, in the magnetic field that's going the other way, you know, in the, in the mac more macroscopic object. Could it be used for something like that? You understand what I'm saying? Well, you can create pulses uh, so of spin waves, so spin wave packets, basically, so that, that travel, that have a finite size in, in, in space. They are 
small wave packets that travel through the magnetic material. And I think your question is, can you somehow stop these packets from transmitting uh, and thereby make a switch or something or like a transistor-like device? And this is indeed uh, a possibility. So for instance, if you put electrodes on a magnet, you can send a current through those electrodes and thereby change the properties of the spin waves that pass by. And this is one way that people are trying to make spin wave transistors at the moment. So if people are successful with spin wave transistors and logic, you're saying, you know, have less heating problems. Um, you know, what are, what are some of the trade-offs? What will be better? What will be potentially worse about it? Well, so the spin wave itself um, travels with little uh, heat production. So it, it doesn't have any heat production uh, as do electric currents, but it comes back to your question earlier. So how do you say excite or how do you create spin waves? How do you manipulate spin waves? How do you detect them? For that, you still need quite large amounts of energy, much larger than any uh, you know, practical device uh, would, would allow. So that's a currently the drawback and, and the progress there is, is, is incremental. What kind of applications will these spin waves be used for? What do you envision? Yeah, they're, they're, that's a, a very, very broad question, I think. So immediately on, on the research, on a research scale, I say, so on a lab scale in research labs, uh, it, spin waves allow you to bring magnetic fields or to transfer magnetic fields over quite large distances which is typically quite hard to do. So for instance, if you have a device sitting somewhere on a chip and you wanna apply a magnetic field to it, you typically make a wire close to the device and you send a current through that wire. And it has to be extremely close, like on a few micron, uh, on a few micron distance. Now these spin waves can bring the magnetic fields over very, can transport them over very large distances up to centimeters in this material that I mentioned, which allows you to put your control electronics very far away you don't need uh, expensive amplifiers anymore to create large currents because the spin waves generate very large magnetic fields. So those are kind of the immediate things that are interesting on, on a research skill because they, magnetic fields are used to manipulate, for instance, quantum bits. And if you don't need a lot of power to, if you don't need to send down a lot of power into your system, it, it is beneficial for the temperature stability, for instance. Uh, it also uh, avoids you having to pay the cost of expensive amplifiers. So those are some very practical research uh, applications. Oh, the, so, okay, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. yeah, the dream of the field is really to, to develop a new way of computing. And for that, people are trying to make use of this wave nature of spin waves. They're trying to convert between charge currents and spin wave currents. They're trying to explore um, spin waves in atomically thin materials. So that's a very new uh, topic. So, you know, you have graphene, which you, it's a material that you can thin down to a single atom. Now you have graphene-like magnets. So those are also single atom thick materials that are magnetic. You, we don't know anything, almost nothing uh, about the spin waves in such materials, but they would allow you to make very small devices. No, in atomically thin materials that are just a few micron in size. So those are some of the exciting, I think, research directions of, of the moment. But again, the big dream of the field is to, to develop a new way of doing information processing. Well, also, would you be able to make uh, more sharply defined 
magnetic fields where they start and stop in a you know a predefined area using spin waves to like corral them or could you make more complex magnetic fields than we can currently make could you maybe like have a um you know a microstructure or a nanostructure to a magnetic field and and then apply it to something and see if that uh, that changes how the objects affected well you you the spin uh, the spin waves themselves indeed do create quite peculiar magnetic fields and what i mean by that is um so typically if you you uh generate a magnetic field of a certain frequency there is a certain wavelength associated with that frequency and it's similar as with light the wavelength of the light depends on the frequency the way and the wave and that that is also true for magnetic fields so if you have a certain frequency of a magnetic field you will have a certain wavelength now the wavelength of magnetic fields that are propagated through free space are very different from uh, the wavelength of magnetic fields generated by spin wave of the same frequency. So instead of uh, having wavelengths that are um, centimeters or meters, you will be able to have uh, magnetic fields with wavelengths that are only a few nanometers. So very rapidly oscillating magnetic fields that, that very change spatially very strongly are very interesting to manipulate nano devices. Because sometimes you want to have a different field in a nano device on one uh, location than on the other, and spin waves would allow you to do that. So you could even imagine that if you push the wavelength of the spin wave to very, very small scales, like a few nanometer, now you're able to apply a different magnetic field on even the individual atoms in a material. And that would allow you to huh. study uh, on an atomic scale uh, materials. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Hmm. Very, very interesting. Um, what about materials that uh, I guess are, are incredibly sensitive to perturbation? Would this be a way to, you know, to poke at them in a gentler way and not disturb them? Um, that I, I'm not sure. So what, okay. uh, yeah, so what, what you could do or one, another potential application of a spin wave is to couple uh, qubits together. So these are, um, you know, a qubit is, is the building block of the quantum computer. Um, one challenge of building a quantum computer, actually the central challenge is how to couple qubits in a, in a good way so that the different qubits can talk to each other. Now, there are proposals that uh, use spin waves to couple qubits over relatively long distances, meaning you know, over millimeters or centimeters from each other. So thereby the, the qubit would uh, emit a spin wave. That spin wave would travel to another qubit and interact with it. And, and transport its information to that qubit. That in the field of quantum information, this is quite an exciting uh, potential application, but it's still uh, uh, f uh, quite in, 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 uh, in, in its infancy. Okay. So, you know, what, what do you think in the next few years that you're going to be, uh, be able to figure out about spin waves? So my main focus currently is on understanding spin waves in these new type of materials that I mentioned, which are graphene-like. So atomically thin magnetic materials that are perfect crystals that uh, have only been discovered in 2017. They are in the physics uh, spotlight, in the research spotlight at the moment. Um, there's not so much known about the spin waves in those materials. They could potentially provide an efficient way, again, of transporting some kind of information through the, through the magnet. 
So I think these, these two-dimensional uh, graphene-like materials, magnetic graphene-like materials, are, are about uh, are really a, a rapidly growing field with many potential applications because these these materials like graphene you can stack them on top of each other you can combine them with non-magnetic materials you can combine them with graphene you can combine them with semiconducting uh, uh, graphene-like materials so it's it's basically a whole toolbox of materials that you can stack it's a very different way of making devices than we're used to where we grow. I know, for instance, silicon, and then uh, another layer on top of the silicon. These these funder, they're they're called van der Waals materials. They provide a huge toolbox to actually build devices with new functionalities, and I think that will really take off the coming years. Very good. So, to know what's the best way for people to follow up on your work and find out more? Well, I would suggest if people are interested, if they might be interested, that they visit the website I have. It's uh, uh, tudelf.nl slash vendor SAR lab and there you can read a little bit about the research you can read about our recent papers yeah and i hope to uh, uh i would welcome any visitors there so yeah thanks for okay. asking yeah thanks for coming on the podcast today. thank you i appreciate it all right thank you if you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on itunes You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.